0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 3rd, 2018. The Share ID numbers for Friday, June 1st, 2018, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11487, that's 11,487, and for this morning's 10 a.m., excuse me, and for... Fridays, 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11489. That's 11,489. Today, A Vision for You presents Step 1 and Powerlessness. Step 1, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step 1 is an admission of the central problem we face as compulsive overeaters our powerlessness over food, and the unmanageable life that has resulted. Once we can admit our powerlessness, a door opens to the solution to our problem. As long as we deny our powerlessness, however, our problem cannot be solved. The first step is about admitting defeat in our battle with food and compulsive overeating. But step one is not merely an intellectual admission of powerlessness. It is an emotional acceptance of our powerlessness at the gut level. We are powerless. We can't stop once we've started, and we can't stop from starting again. This acceptance of powerlessness and unmanageability is an experience the AA 12 and 12 refers to as utter defeat, bankruptcy, hopelessness, and hitting bottom. As the big book says, we learn that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we are alcoholics, of course, for us, compulsive overeaters. This is the first step in recovery. Joining us today is Chris B., a recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. Chris is dedicated to the 12-step way of life and to carrying this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Welcome to the line, Chris.
1: Thank you, Leah. Good morning.
0: Good morning, and thank you.
1: Excellent. I am grateful for your service and for vision. Uh, Good morning, everyone joining us this morning. I'm happy to be of service and happy to share my story. I've been in program since 2011, January, and I came in about 390 pounds. And uh, I am a compulsive overeater and I'm powerless over all food here in St. Louis, Missouri. I uh, was at a top weight of 430 pounds the previous summer in 2010. And I... I'm no longer at that weight. I'm in the 190-pound range. I don't fluctuate between like two or three pounds a month, and that's been um, constant for the last three years, not by my power at all. I uh, do qualify with that, but I'm not really um, concerned as much about the time as much as I'm concerned about spiritual growth and how I'm living my life now and how I'm practicing the steps and how I am present with you all right here in this moment. I'd like to begin with a prayer that my sponsor helped me with three years ago uh, when I was finally ready. Uh, this prayer helps me daily and it helps me become open to recovery. So I'll begin. God, please help me set aside everything I think that I know about recovery, about life, about weight loss, and about everyone else on the planet for an open mind and a new experience. Please help me see the truth of my situation. Please help me see that I have all that I need to survive today. Amen. So I'll begin speaking about um, how I was before I came to OA uh, for about 15 minutes or so. I want to make sure that I'm honest on this that I was a volunteer into my life. I was given everything I needed for my family, my parents, my older brother. Uh, I love them very much. And they too are like me. They have a spiritual malady. They are compulsive overeaters. One's in program, one's not, and that's okay. They're doing the best they can, and I love them. I was a volunteer into this environment. I'm not a victim of it by any means. I was on my first diet when I was five. I was a little over 75 pounds in kindergarten, and it became apparent that I escape from life I really felt comfort in doing so I all I wanted to do was watch TV and have food have my binge food I really felt a difference in myself and other kids Um, I was overcome by self-centered fear more often than not it just was in my nature to seek comfort through that belief this surreal belief that I was different than other kids other families um and i obsessed about those thoughts i really did i i felt like if you didn't like me or you didn't um you didn't accept me then i, I was no good and i i comforted and welcomed those thoughts as well i really wore my uh, emotions um <laughs> nowhere near my sleeve at that point i mean they were i was like a kettle um just a, a keg waiting, a powder keg waiting to go off, a loose cannon at times. And at other times I was just happy. I controlled my emotions. I had to be a friend to everyone and then I would blow up. And I, um, I lived my life like that growing up. First time I was in Weight Watchers, I was probably nine. And I remember the, it was a pain way. I mean, we were, we'd go in and the kids were in this room and the adults were in the other room. And we just talk about losing weight. That was the focus. I remember, a drawing on the wall next to the scale and it was a cartoon from a uh, from the sun the funnies and it was a a man holding a revolver pointed towards the scale while I was standing on it and I was like well that's that's hilarious and I'm 9 and I just I got it but it was really hard for me to lose weight the message i was getting was eat less work out more or eat less and exercise more and every time I tried to do that I just felt like I was starving. I felt it I felt exhausted and it just wasn't something I, I could sustain. But it was up to me to fix it. It was always up to me. My willpower, willpower, willpower. I had to fix all of it. And by the time I was twelve I was two hundred and thirty pounds, five six or so tall. And I was smitten. I had a crush on a classmate and used that as my motivation. I started jogging at the Y and restricting my calories. It was like this new birth of willpower out of nowhere. I'm 12 years old and I'm on the scale every morning. If I lost three pounds, I would be like, this is awesome. Great. I'm going to eat a little bit more today. And for that um, the eating spree, it was like maybe 500 calories. That was my more. <laughs> that was my gift for that day. And then I weighed myself the next day. If I didn't lose weight, well, I would severely restrict. I may have a bowl of cereal um, that was healthy cereal, and I'd have some skim milk for lunch, and that's it. I did that for, I think, the entire school year, of sixth grade, and I lost, like, 70 pounds. I think the police officer with DARE called me up in front of the whole school on the last day before summer and and said, um, you know, this person has more willpower than anyone I've ever seen, and here's a medal, and here's just standing ovation. And as soon as I got off school, I had nothing but time on my hands and I was right back in the food. I was back up to 200 pounds by seventh grade and I think I was at 290 by eighth grade. And this is what worked for me was to severely restrict my calories and exercise. I remember losing my vision. I became like almost blacking out at football camps and um, hiking with Boy Scouts. It was just I needed to take more calories in and the only thing I knew that worked was to not do that, <laughs> to, con- to use all my power to fix myself. And I really obsessed about this future date, this future self, this future life. Who so I would come at this weight, um, the skinny person. I-, I didn't think about any other problem in life or that people of healthy, normal body weight, skinny people actually had problems. I was just, I heard that, but I didn't hear it. I was just like, well, just get out of my way. Anything that didn't fit into the belief that I was um, married to, basically just wasn't welcome. And I had to do what I had to do. And it was all about me and my weight. And all the while I was just alienating friends and um, I wasn't happy. I really associated with being unhappy. I really associated with isolating and uh taking everything personal. I got in trouble a lot, a lot of insult suspension, a lot of, um, stay at home suspension, a lot of fights, a lot of arguments with teachers, authority. It just fit. I'm no good. Um, I'm a bad person. Life is no good. And it could not have been further from the truth, but that's the pain I dealt with growing up. And that's, um, I really believe if I was adopted and didn't have my family, I still would have been the same person. It would have been even worse circumstances. Then I would have been like, well, this makes even more sense. <laughs> uh, I would have had the spiritual malady and been on that path regardless. But I digress. I actually was in a situation when I was a senior in high school where my folks moved to Boston and I was here in an apartment to finish senior in high school because I wasn't going to go to a new city. And... I got my way a lot of times, more often than not, it just seemed like a, and I was living here with my brother and I probably gained a hundred pounds partying on the weekends, eating all kinds of food, weighed about 355 pounds by the time I graduated high school. And I just didn't understand what was going on at all. I didn't relate to fitness, to to working out. I've tried a lot in football and just never saw any gains. Saw any uh, kind of improvement as I was overtraining. I wasn't really eating well. I wasn't giving my body the nutrition I needed. And anything that didn't work was, <laughs> see, ya, It's not, it doesn't work. I'm not going to use it. Let's go back to what's working. That was my, my motive was, well, this time on this diet, it's going to work because I did this wrong. So let me add to what I did before and I got it this time. And I told everyone, I shouted from the hills, like, I'm on a diet. I'm on, this is it. Like, the more people I tell about it, the more uh, probability there is that I will succeed. And each time I didn't succeed, I'd lose 100 pounds and then started coming back on. And and these thoughts just crept in. And it was like watching the the slowest head-on collision in the world and had nothing to do to stop it. Like that's what it felt like each time I was gaining the weight back. I'm like, I know I've been here before. I look myself in the mirror, and try to suck myself up, and I couldn't stop it from all coming back and and then some. So I went through college. I was a, a lot of um, there was a lot of fun. Like nothing I mentioned in this story is, was wasted or was meaningless. It all had a purpose, and there was some fun. There was some good times, but. It was just me working on my story, doing more research. Um, alcohol was a big part of it, but it was really a distractor to the main core issue of food, what I did with food, what food was doing for me in my life, how I used food. And in college, I actually uh, a brother of ours, <laughs> I met him at a fraternity party, and he mentioned this low-carb diet, the Atkins. and. I'm just like, wow, that makes amazing sense. I can eat everything I want and lose weight. And I lost 135 pounds. And then here's another belief that I have to um, battle, really, because it worked. It worked like no other program ever worked. And I was just married to it for years. It was like, well, I got to go back to that because that's working. Each time it didn't work and I fell off and gained all the weight back. And I ended up. Again, alienating some relationships, getting in a big fight with a pledge brother of mine and best friend, senior year. It was about a month after 9-11, and my life just blew up, and it was all based on fear. <laughs> Looking back at it, it was all things that I created, um, making of my own, what were the problems of my own making of my actions and my beliefs, for sure. But um, I moved up to Boston after college, and just... There again, isolation began. Um I'm bad, I'm evil. All these beliefs that I comfort I saw comfort in were were there for me. And my twenties were just up and down. Here's here's a job, here's not a job, I couldn't hold a job. That's how I was before program. That's just who I am. I I got better things to do. I'm I don't need to go for an interview and feel shame and all these things. I'm I'm better than this. All these <laughs> these uh entitlement issues that I dealt with. They're just, uh, they, they fed, fed my mind with poison. By the time I was 25, I got promoted to a position where it was a a bump. It was a raise in salary and it was in sales. And I was like, man, I'm going to go back to sales. I don't want to but the salary's there. It sounds good. And immediately I was just full of stress, micromanaged, or just, it was a stressful type job. And I started binging and purging like I weighed 250 pounds and didn't get on the scale. And in 10 months I put on 110 pounds from binging and purging three or four times a night. It wasn't something I did to lose weight. It was something I did. <laughs> it was beyond my mental control. That's for sure. And I, I saw it therapy. I saw it um medication management and it didn't work against it. I mean, the therapy was wonderful because it was like, wow, I'm actually talking to someone who's objective and we're getting down to these things these core issues, but it was actually very painful. I remember uh, a way to sort of summarize some of my beliefs would be I can't accept the compliment. I can't accept a gift without getting even. I need to give you back uh, a gift that's like worth five or 10 times much much more than the gift you gave me just so I'm even in my mind because I'm not worthy. And the therapist stopped me when I was sharing that with her and said, well, yeah, you're not good enough. And it just broke me. I like went right to tears because I was like, wow, no one's ever said it or put that to words. But that's the truth. I mean, I was the uh, best man at my brother's wedding and gave a decent speech. I mean, I was um, pretty inebriated, but every I had people laughing and crying and uh, everyone, my family and friends complimented me on it and said, what a speech. That was awesome. And I just like discounted it. Nah, you know, was like it could have been better. Nah, every one of them just discounted it. Couldn't take it. But back to binging and purging and being in therapy like i thought that i needed to go to the beverage program i just because i can lose weight when i stop drinking right so here i come to aa and going to food or going to oa was like the furthest thing on my mind i, I had lasted for a little while didn't get a sponsor was given my first big book that's in my hands now and that was 11 years ago and eventually i came back to st louis was just battling, going to the gym, doing everything I could with my willpower again to fix myself, to overcome my weight problem, to overcome my life. And I was just getting darker and darker in my mind full of fear. I was over 400 pounds at this point and I I couldn't get underneath 400 pounds. I would start contests at work. We'd go to the Chinese buffet and beef up to... (laughs) give ourselves a leg up, I guess, in the contest, throw a hundred bucks in. And I remember getting second place, but second place was me losing 15 pounds. And that's it. (laughs) It was, um, it was just goofy. I mean, I was smoking cigarettes and drinking again at this point and I could not get underneath 400 pounds for the life of me and I could not feel better. I just felt worse and worse as I I got older and I was only 30 years old. I, I went back to therapy. I was unemployed again. And the therapist said, you've committed to therapy. It's been a year. You're doing great. Your depression's looking to get better. You need to go to a spiritual program. And she introduced OA to me.
2: And I was like, what do
1: you mean? I'm trying to fix myself. OA, what, what is this all about? You know, I'm, and I'm 430 pounds and I'm bitching in Persia. And I went to OA for the first time in February of 2010 at a meeting and it sounded good. It was all right. I don't think that meeting's still around, but, um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be here five days a week and telling everyone there at the meeting i'll hear five days a week this is it nice. i didn't go back for another 10 months and i came into program in january of 2011 and i was open i was ready my experience is this it was exciting i heard a lot of people sharing my story what they do with food getting in the car um uncontrollable urges to go in the car and go to a gas station go to three drive-throughs in a night go to A 24 hour store um, to not feel shame in the drive thru and order a couple drinks so it looks like it's for a family. Or just get to the point where everything is about food. Like to keep appearances up with family or eat in an image controlling fashion in front of other people and then go home and have the real meal. Because all the while I was obsessing about the meal. I heard that message and I was like, great. And you know what? The first second meeting I went to the doctor's opinion was suggested to me to read. I did 30 questions, in 30 days with my first sponsor. And that was read a doctor's opinion and, uh, write about it and then get back to me and we'll talk about it. And I was big into the OA literature, nothing wrong with any of it by any means But I was really big into OA literature and pamphlets and, uh, before you take that first compulsive bite, all these things, I thought if I could have those in every nook and cranny in my apartment, in my car, I was good to go if the food ever came calling again. And I was really excited. I think um first six months I would go to a meeting and shoot, if I was late, I would just wouldn't go and I'd go to a parking lot and maybe read a book on like the OA 12 and 12 or it was like everything had to be perfect at first, but then everything was fine. It was just my tribe. It felt like uh, mostly women went to convention. I heard abstinence. I heard um, some some stories and that were all things I could relate to, some that I couldn't, and that was okay. But I was excited. And six months into program, I got a job as a personal trainer. I was 330 pounds. I'll break my anonymity on that, and that's fine. I, I don't do that any longer. That's a big part of my story because I thought if in one hand I have Overeaters Anonymous. In the other hand, I have personal training, fitness, nutrition as a career. I'm going to fix myself, right? I'm going to fix who I am. This is it. I'm 31. I'm going for it. This is, there's no looking back. And I learned a career. I, I mean, I had fun. I, I battled with it. I was back in, out of the food. I would, uh, this meeting for two or three weeks because i felt amazing i'm like well i don't need a meeting that's what i equated it to it was like if it makes sense i'll go but i'm not only gonna go if i'm in the food or if, if i feel like i'm in the food or if i'm miserable and i'm still going to therapy the whole time so it was just what had to happen for me to become ready it was me working on my story and i'm in program at this point i think i call myself the best sponsor recruiter ever like i could recruit an amazing sponsor that sponsored me the way I wanted to be sponsored. You know, they showed me recovery, but it all had to feel good. It had to feel right. It had to make sense. And i would feel comfortable. Cause that,
3: <laughs>
1: cause that works. I, I kid, I have a lot of sarcasm and that is definitely uh, something that doesn't work. It never worked for me. I'd send my food and be like, I know so much about nutrition so much. And it, was, it didn't matter. I could send uh, all the food in the world, and I would get up to step four, and then something would happen. Like all right, step one, okay, cool. I'm here. I'm powerless. That makes sense. Step two, err, I'll work on it. Step three, I'm well, just like step two. Didn't you hear me? I'll work on it. Um, step four, that makes more sense. That's concrete. Kind of I can write things down. I'm, I'm hesitant to do it, but painful. It goes hand in hand with therapy. Awesome. Let's do it. And I do things all or nothing. That's like. This is what I do. I have the obsession of mine. So I will go all in. And if it's not right, I'm I'm not going to do it. And I shut down. Uh, there's no in-between area in my life. There, there's no, um, there there wasn't, I should say, in past tense. That there wasn't any gray area. There wasn't any balance. So going all in, it just, it was in my nature to do this. Like, I've I got everything i got. I'm going for it. And anything I didn't like, it was just, it had to be perfect. I was really attached to the coin, to time, to perfection. And I felt ashamed if I couldn't walk into a meeting and say I've been abstinent. I felt ashamed if I couldn't brag and say, it's been 30 days, hurrah, let's let's clap. This is my experience, nothing wrong with it at all. Everyone was asking me to be a speaker. You know, I I couldn't go be a speaker and say I'm not abstinent. (laughs) I um that's why I love this message of being powerless. There's no shame that's involved in me saying I'm powerless over all food. And me being all or nothing, having that mindset, I do things quickly. I want quick results, I want immediate satisfaction, I want it now, I want it my way. And a year and half in the program I'm just like, this is it. I mean, the training is going well. Um, I've got it. Now I got a man sponsor (laughs) and I've gone through so much uh, relapse at that point. I'm like, nothing can stop me. My therapist says, Hey, ADHD sounds like uh, you may be a candidate. Let's go take a look a little further. So get a medication manager. I have Ritalin and it just all clicks. I'm going to leave my position in training and open up my own company in-home training, high-end, all these things, get a coach, have a plan, and everything just made sense, and it's only two years in the program at this point, 2013, and it was like the best winter of my life, the best year. It just felt like a dream. I'm working in a restaurant to support the business as it begins, and then eventually I left the restaurant, not even two months later, and all my ducks are in a row. I'm creating my own schedule. I'm working really hard. I have a marketing coach it becomes high-end I'm making more money I've ever made in my life like ten times more than I was at the gym and everything is going well Like just like Bill says I had arrived <laughs> all my ducks are in a row my schedules here um, was awarded ten grand for this operation transformation contest it was just all these things feeding my ego like I am the best <laughs> I am superior and it didn't fit these beliefs that I grew up with, these beliefs that were really deep inside my subconscious that I'm not good enough. I mean, I would generalize anxiety is what my therapist called it. Um, just imagining through all the success, I would imagine someone coming up and knifing me because it, it was like, I'm snatching the feet from the job of success. Like that's the way I felt. I had a, a bunch of money coming in, like, within four days and I would be so full of fear. I would believe that I was broke. It just, it was no way to live. I mean, I, I went to uh, live in a high rise luxury apartment market there. And my commute was to work from home or eight floors to a gym in the building. Not good enough. I, I had a sports car. What else you got? Not good enough. <laughs> I'm insatiable. I'm an addict. Like that's the way, that's what in my nature. I could wear 32 size clothes. I could shop wherever I wanted to. I had arrived. I have his nervous disposition that just tells me that's not good enough. That doesn't fly. And I'm in this building for three months, and I'm getting accolades from all kinds of people. 200, 300 Facebook likes. You know, still not good enough. <laughs> what else you got, life? You know, show me. And. I mean, women of all ages are attracted to me for the first time. It was scary. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was what I told myself I needed to be, what I deserved my whole life to fix me. I lost 200 pounds at this point, only two years in program. Everything was fine. Everything was great, but it wasn't. And I'll quote, a paraphrase a brother of ours in the past, Chuck C. And I'm here in St. Louis next to the Mississippi here. I use that as a body of water, but I can look out over the arch, over the Mississippi river, North and South the horizon and fill it with food. It would not be enough to satisfy the obsession of my mind. It would not be enough to satisfy my ego. I could fill it with money. Still not enough. Fill it with women, fill it with validation, thrills, fame, all of that. It's just not going to be enough. And that's where I was three months into this new building the best year of my life as I was telling everyone I love life and all of a sudden I'm on the news the headline which I didn't request a buddy got me on there I'm promoting my uh my business the trainer local man shares his secret to sharing to losing 200 pounds are you kidding me like they put that up there and it's like uh some just didn't feel right about it I'm like dude, I didn't do this, you know, and the whole time my sponsor's like, you want to get back to the inventory? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I'll get back to you. You know, cool. Like this is uh life's going so well. Let's, I'll get back to you. And just that, that's where I was. I, I didn't understand that, that there was something else that happened. I mean, that I, I was missing out on what was actually going to make me satisfied. I mean, in the doctor's opinion, actually it lays it out. And I've read it so many times, uh, the difference of what I had, the, the allergy, uh, I've heard the word obsession, all these things, I was just missing it. And I'll say obsession a hundred times through this share because my obsession doesn't want me to mention it. My obsession of the mind does not want me to out it, to call it for what it is. And in my experience, it loses power the more I share about it, the more I say, <laughs> this is not about my willpower but I will get back to that shortly. So I'm on the news and the night before that, I mean, I, I, I bought a couple bags of all natural. Um, it rhymes with shrug sh- corn and uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, it was just goofy. It's like, well, this is trigger food. It's not right. But um, yeah, no, it's cool. And sure enough, that later that week, I'm at the store getting all healthy food and just one bag of really full on binge food, sugar, and um, no reason at all, I mean, two days later, I'm binging and purging with all of my ingredients. I'm the mad scientist in the kitchen with all the ingredients, making making it happen. And I'm sneaking into this building that I'm the guru, i the health guy, managing my image, sneaking in with a duffel bag, taking 11 flights out to my place, hiding it, just like this um, dark person that I was. just became isolated, imprisoned in my own skin and, and my Building. I mean, all the while, that's what I did. I just, there was an urge to do something else with life through all the success. There was an urge to get out, and I couldn't handle it. I needed something to fill that void. I needed something else. In the doctor's opinion, it became apparent to me later uh, that there were only two options I could accept spiritual help or I could die a slow overeater's death. I kept trying to fill that third option with the money, with the right weight. With the right job, the right business, the right amount of status, the right accolade. And it just was never going to work. So I I started a 14-month relapse, a downward spiral. It was my only second year in program. And here I am, I'm up and down in weight, fluctuating 10, 15 pounds a month. And just, I'm being pummeled by self-will. I'm being pummeled by the food again and again. And I can't take it. And I'm in program the whole time. I'm going to different meetings. I'm meeting new men that are in program, new meetings that were popping up. And I was even being asked to speak, but I was just getting, I was like, I mean, seeing a picture, I was all inflamed um, on little sleep. I'm on ADHD medication, uh, Adderall. So I'm, I'm a stimulant and I'm trying to make this business work. I'm trying to make my life work. It's not, it's all unmanageable. And I have, a younger girlfriend who's insatiable because that's what I needed too. That's what I always needed was a girlfriend. And somehow she just never says no. So that's great. That's exactly what I needed (laughs) at the time. And 14 months of this, I couldn't say no. I couldn't be emotional uh, enough. I wasn't in an emotional state to have a relationship, to be open, to grow. I I felt worse than I felt before I came to program at 430 pounds. I'll repeat that. I felt worse at this lower weight, all the success, everything I ever wanted. I felt 10 times worse than I felt at my highest weight, 430 pounds in my deepest, darkest depression. Uh, How could that possibly be the case? How could that be true? I didn't know the answers. I didn't know until later. I needed a big book sponsor to walk me through, to get in the way of my best thinking. (laughs) Because my best thinking was not going to work for me it wasn't going to help me recover i needed a guide and i lost all of it lost my business um apartment the car my money i mean i just spent like money two or three grand a month on healthy food and on binge food i mean 70 dollars a day at a warehouse club it just it got really brutal on it was just self-destructive that's what i did and i would um save myself i each night, if I couldn't finish the food, it was so painful. I binged the first three or four times. I'd throw in the garbage chute in the hallway. And that was one thing. I never went out to the alley. But I was trying to save myself for the previous morning because those were the rough days when I woke up and I'm binging like right out of the gate at breakfast. But all of that being said, it was a rough 14 months. It was 2014. The business is going down. I'm leaving the apartment, leaving the car. and I had to move in with my brother about 20 miles west of St. Louis um, with his kids, and I lied. I, I was like, yeah, I'm one client away from um, from getting rent. I'll be good. And to back up a step, that summer, I borrowed a decent amount of money from my parents because I was just unmanageable in all ends. I mean, the previous year, I told my father I was solving. I didn't need to borrow any more money, and here I was borrowing more money, and they had to cut me off. That was a gift. (laughs) It really was. And here I was just under this delusion that I could get another client and pay my brother rent and make it all work and pay back my debts. And I felt like I was dying. Here it is, January 2015, four years in a program, and I feel like I'm dying. Like, this is it. (laughs) I'm watching anti-sugar films and all the conspiracy things during the day and showing my brother and kids how to shop healthy. And then at night, I'm in the food. I'm stealing their food. (laughs) That's what it took for me. Completely broke. At a certain point, my brother was like, you got to go get food stamps. I'm like, this is crazy. What happened? And I came to a meeting. It was like four weeks without a meeting. My girlfriend broke up with me, which is awesome. It had to happen. And I went to the meeting. And it was a newcomer's meeting. I'm sharing how I'm suffering. And right after the meeting, all of a sudden it's me and my Um, previous sponsor from the previous summer, uh, a man, and we hadn't really worked the steps. Um, we, we got together, did some fellowship for the first time. And he called me at one point that previous summer and said, Hey man, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, man, get up, You know, I'm, I'm hanging out. What are you doing? And he's like, um, I'm going to go out to this field and light a couch on fire. Want to come with? (laughs) I was like, in the midst of my, uh, my obsession or my relapse and all, I was like, that is the coolest damn thing I've ever heard how could I not come with and we fellowship out in the field watched the couch burn on fire some of asbestos took the stars in but that was like my first real fellowship experience like I took OA in in small doses I I, I didn't go to all-day conventions or uh, retreats uh, for much more than just one speaker I was like oh I, I'm good let me get back to my life let me get back to my life let me get back to it <laughs> and um back to that meeting, that newcomer meeting, I'm just in this pit of despair. And he got in my face at risk of pissing me off and said, do you have a sponsor? I took a breath and just like, no, I don't. And he said, looked in my eyes and just said, I can't recover alone. Let's begin. And we did, we went for a hike that next day. I worked in the big book with him. Um, one hour a day and I probably called him three or four times a day. I was so full of fear. I couldn't go back. I couldn't go forward. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't stay in the president and now. And I kept calling him every time I'm on the phone. I felt really uncomfortable. I felt like it was, um, (laughs) I was under attack and I kept calling because my best thinking got me into that place. I couldn't get myself out and our work began. And I'll share this. How um, I'll go into the obsession. Like I didn't even understand what the obsession was. Um, I didn't hear it. I wasn't open to hearing it for the first four years in program. It's so powerful. When my mind is telling me that I need to go eat, that's my obsession. And my sponsor brought a big book and a dictionary, and suggested I do the same when we did big book. Let's look up these words. Let's humble ourselves. Let's set aside what we think we know and learn something new about a word like obsession. Well, I know what that means. Well, let's look it up all the same. And let's see which definition speaks to us. So obsession, look this up as unwanted thoughts that continually occupy and intrude on a person's mind. (laughs) Yeah, that hit home with me. It still does. That's my obsession of the mind. That's the way my mind works and it's okay. I, for some reason, I felt like if I had the obsession, I was recovering wrong. Or if I had this thought that I should be ashamed that people that are 20 years recovered in OA don't have the obsession. They talk about it. And I'm like, well, that means I'm doing something wrong if I have it. No, you know, it's a gift. The last three years, I haven't had the obsession in the mind for probably 90, 95% of the time. Doesn't mean that doesn't come up in my subconscious in a dream doesn't mean that my mind doesn't operate the way obsession it just it's the nature of my mind so when I have the obsession I'm on the phone I'm calling it out (laughs) there's no shame in that and it's wonderful I have the obsession in the mind that it will tell me that I should be ashamed for having the obsession that's what my obsession says you should be ashamed for having the obsession don't talk about me I mean it was so elusive that I didn't even know about it for four years like, yeah, I saw the word, I read about it, but in the doctor's opinion here, I love this paragraph. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. I mean, my obsession was so strong that my alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. It made me forget things. Um, as I read the foreword with my sponsor that February, I forgot what happened to previous July. I was at a buddy's house. We're watching a soccer game and I bring my food, all my healthy food. And I get a call from my girlfriend or a text like, I'll see you tonight. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want her to come over. I feel so helpless. I can't say no. So a trivial reason, I can't say no, I'm helpless and I'm full of fear and I'm in the food. There's like 10 minutes left in the game and I'm, everyone's huddled around the projection screen in the adjacent room to this kitchen, and I'm back and forth to the kitchen in my own world. Everyone's done eating. I'm in my own world in obsession. Eating as quickly as I can, swallowing as quickly as I can, and just lost mindlessly in it. And on the fourth or fifth trip back, doing this so quickly, it it just made the perfect combination, almost like concrete start lodging in my throat. And that is what it came to. I forgot all this happened. I couldn't get this food down. I tried to drink. I tried to swallow, and my throat was closing up. I was choking from food. And I had to go to my buddy and put my hands around my throat. My buddy gave me the Heimlich in the kitchen. while Everyone watched the final five minutes of this soccer game. And we joked about it. And my obsession is so strong that... I left and went to a grocery store and got the same food item because F that food item. I got this. And I benched and perished before my girlfriend arrived that night. Somehow, through the midst of the darkness and my relapse, I forgot that that even transpired. And it came to me when I was reading the big book with my sponsor in the forward. That's, uh, that's very powerful. That shows me how my mind is working. And... I'll get back to the doctor for any year. I'm restless, irritable, and discontented unless I can, again, experience a sense of ease and comfort which comes from taking a few bites, bites which I see others taking with impunity. I'm in the cycle. You know, I need to experience a psychic change that the doctor writes. You, you can only use uh, medical terms, scientific terms like psychic change or moral psychology. Uh, you can't use spiritual solution. You can't use that. And I was open to this for the first time by having a big book sponsor walk me through these things. I mean, this abundance of time was like new to me. It was completely new spending an hour on the phone, going, hanging out for two or three hours, hanging around, around the fire, talking big book, talking about a food plan, talking about powerlessness relating life. Like how is life, what does life look like without food, without the obsession? I'll get into powerlessness big time here. Um, I didn't understand what I was doing with food. My my plan for the first four years of program was I eat healthy food, I don't eat binge food, and I don't binge and purge. That's my abstinence. Um, I related to the message of abstinence is yours and defined as your own. And with that, my obsession was like, hurrah! I mean, for me, if a doctor heard that, cool, you're not eat, binging and purging, you're eating healthy food and you're, you're eating every two or three hours, awesome. That sounds really healthy. A nutritionist may even be like, boom, Chris, go for it. My obsession was like off to the races with that. There's no boundary around that. My obsession can't find a loophole in. So, an example would be I would be awake for 18 hours one day if I'm eating every two or three hours. Okay, it's three hours. So, I got six meals that day, awesome. 18 hours, six meals, three hours.
2: The next day, I'm
1: exhausted. I'm behind. Life happens. Whatever happens, and I'm eating every two hours, so that's nine meals. I mean, truth be told, I didn't know where I was. I was one day I'd have seven meals, the next day I have six meals, and every night I usually had a protein shake, and there wasn't a plan around it, like a time to have it or when. I mean, I was just making choices all the while. Like I thought there were healthy choices as long as I stay with healthy food, I'm good, and I wasn't. You know, the idea here is that. I'm here, I admitted powerlessness, but how do I practice it? Like, am I practicing powerlessness when I'm making choices throughout the day? The answer is no. When I'm deciding when I'm hungry or when I'm not hungry, or taking a meal out here or there, or uh, bartering, this is what I did always. I was like, well, I'm making up for yesterday because I worked out a lot and I didn't eat as many meals. So it's all obsession that's in my mind and it's exhausting. I'm thinking about what I'm doing, I'm thinking about food, what I'm eating, whether it's right or wrong and why more often than not, why I was right. And I had the right answers. I knew more than anyone self-knowledge <laughs> hooked me up. But I say all this because if I look up at night and I say, can I have a protein shake? Can I have a, a plan? Can I have a, a food? Can I, can I eat is the question? Whether I ate or not doesn't matter. Like I usually did have the, the meal if I was asking if I could, but, the reason that I was dumb is I actually had uh, – I was just done because I had the question. By asking the question, I'm done. I'm loading a gun called My Obsession, and I'm in the cross areas. When I'm making choices throughout the day. That's what I didn't see. It, I was just ignorant to that for four years. Like, I have lost the power to choose. Page 34, big book. Paraphrase here. For those who are unable to eat moderately, the question is how to stop overeating, undereating, compulsively eating altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit on a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he's already lost the power to choose, whether he will overeat, undereat, compulsively eat or not. So I don't have this power of choice. How do I practice powerlessness? How How does that look in my life? Well, I don't have the power to decide what when or how much I eat I've lost this power to make same reasonable rational choices around that that includes the time that baffled me like what do you mean how did I miss that through all my training through all my experience through 30 years of nutrition dieting all of it how could I miss the time and looking back I didn't know that doing things that didn't make any sense work (laughs) That uncommon sense definitely became common sense, like surrendering to times. And I fought my sponsor on this for two months, kicking and screaming. I'm down to 20 bucks on food stamps and I, I'll die, but I'll do it my way. And they'll say that on my grave, I did it my way. Awesome. (laughs) So I did this. I mean, he hammered it home. like, what are you eating today? And I'm like, well, I don't know. He's like, what time are you eating? I'm like, cool, uh, six o'clock. And he's like, what are you going to have? I'm like, I don't know. It's going to be salmon or chicken. Which one is it, Chris? Why does it matter? <laughs> Why does it matter? And I was missing that point because I was making the choice. I didn't understand that I was under the delusion of my obsession that as long as I practice power, like I have the choice to discern to call an audible. I did that so often I spent hours meal prepping, and then I'd have a food in my cooler and I would just someone says, Hey, I'm gonna take you out to lunch and I'd be like, can I eat there? Cool. They got healthy food. Awesome. That's me making a choice. Example, I go to work um, and they pick up lunch for everyone. And I already have my meal with me. If I take them up on what they're, they have at the office, healthy food or not, that's a choice for me. I'm done. I'm in the obsession. I'm in the illusion that I have power, that I'm not powerless when I'm doing that. There's not one way, right way to recovery. This is my story. <laughs> this is what I was doing. It was just teasing my obsession to come on out. And by surrendering to times I eat, I'm basically saying I'm surrendering this power that I never had to tell myself I'm hungry, I'm not hungry, I'm full, I'm not. And here's what I do at my breakfast this morning was just enough. It was right. I felt full, satisfied. My breakfast yesterday, um, not enough. I could have kept eating breakfast the day before that was too much. I felt really full do ate too fast i don't know so three different breakfasts three different meals three different reactions three different reactions i'm a compulsive over i'm powerless over all food and the the truth is i've had the same exact breakfast for the last three years i love breakfast it's wonderful same breakfast same time right when i wake up and i got three different reactions i could keep eating I eat too much or this is just right. That means I need a plan. I don't know. I don't have the power to decide what, when, or how much I eat. I have to weigh and measure. I fought calories and all this, this idea for years. I mean, I made 200 bucks an hour. <laughs> I am the guru. I'm the only trainer on the world. You know, that's the who I felt I was. That's, that's my ego. And I fought it. And when I started doing it my obsession got worse. Looking back, why would my obsession get worse if I'm doing it? Well, nothing alive wants to die. And my obsession sure didn't want to die. So when I follow a food plan, I'm not making choices. My obsession's losing power. It's just, it's remarkable. And I was on the phone several times a day doing 90 meetings in 90 days. I mean, that, that's what I had to do to overcome the obsession. The only thing that's ever worked in my life has been the spiritual solution that's alive in the big book. To alleviate the obsession of my mind, to give me peace over this obsession. And it's just wonderful. So I started. I was like, awesome. I'm putting legwork in. It wasn't just given to me. I had to. Create my own food plan. and I still <laughs> resisted. I'm the author of my own food plan, right? My own schedule. And I'm like, this can't work. It doesn't make any sense. But I, I began 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., 7 p.m. Those are my meals. And I'm like, I'm going to prove my response wrong. I'm going to prove this method wrong. It can't work. All the while, we're working the big book every day. Working the steps. Going to meetings. I'm saying things in meetings I never said before. My name is Chris Pulse Overeater. I am sick. And it would appear, I would just break down. I was opening up like never before. Here I am. I'm equal with everyone. No better, no worse. Humble. Acting as if cultivating this relationship with the higher power all the while. So 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., 7 p.m. And the food was down. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm working the steps with the sponsor. I'm sponsoring other guys. I ended up being um, three months later, it was June of 2015. I'm um, in a cross country road trip with my brother, his girlfriend, three kids. I have the meals with me, and it's somehow it's a cannonball run race. Like, my brother wants to <laughs> get there in record time. Like, we're not racing anyone but the clock in under 20 hours because we did this road trip from St. Louis to Boston many times. And it was stressful, and uh we get there, and it's my dad's retirement, and I lived up there before, see my old room and around family, and thinking healthy food's going to be everywhere. all of a sudden, I'm smoking a cigarette, I'm chewing gum, I'm drinking diet soda, doing things that are compulsive behaviors for me. and i I' listened to a podcast. So I wasn't good enough. I'm just listening to the podcast, and now I'm having some trigger food, and I call my sponsor. First thing, first time I've ever done that before, I called a sponsor in the middle of a binge. And we spoke for about a half hour. He said, this is not a problem. You know, this isn't about abstinence. This isn't about perfection. This isn't about, um, this isn't about what you think. You know, this is not a problem. Like, I suggest you arrest your illness. What's the next thing you need to get your plan right? I gotta to go to the store. I don't wanna do that. Anytime I ever went to the store before I would be in obsession, I'd get more food and I'm stacking back up. But I did. I went and I got healthy food to prepare. And I was in and out of the food the next couple of days on the way home. Um when we got home I was just exhausted and I got into sugar. That was the last time I had sugar and my and wheat in my system and dairy. Um and I called and called again the whole time. And and that night I actually was in the food again. So I'm like, I'm across the street. I'm, I'm getting ready to go in my car and uh, go to that one last time, the last hurrah, I lived a hundred thousand times. Let's make this a good binge. Let's make this, a, I'm starting again to tomorrow. And something just made me stop dead in my tracks. I stopped before I crossed the street and said, no, and I'm getting chills as I say this, because this was a spiritual experience something kept me from going in the car and I went back and I went home and went to bed and I woke up and went for a walk, um, listened to podcasts, called sponsor was on the phone six or seven times a day and continued to work. In this format, this idea of powerlessness and following a food plan, like yielding to it, I surrender all my choices. It's just I couldn't believe I was missing it. So as it started working, I'm like, how did I miss this in four years? And it's wonderful. I do the legwork. I cook up meals. Um, It began two or three times a day because I didn't have refrigerator space. And now it's two or three weeks at a time because I do have that space. I, I do have a plan. I have other recovered people I can reach out to. And, hey, how do you travel with a food plan? How do you go to an event with a food plan or an eatery? Can you have a plan for this restaurant? Just one thing that you have and you don't have the choice of a million things. You don't have the choice of five things. How about one thing? For me, I needed less choice in advance. The far, the further removed I was from choice, the better. So when I wake up, I know what I'm going to have to eat. I make my breakfast and dinner salad fresh, and my second and third meal are uh, meal prepped. It's worked for me for the last three years. They're already in the refrigerator waiting. They're good. I have a cooler everywhere I go. I called... Uh, airlines when I traveled and it was like, can I bring food on the plane? they were like, as long as it's not something that can melt like ice, you're good. I'm like I got a foam pack. Is that cool? They're like, yeah, cool. And they checked it at TSA. They emptied it and <laughs> all the contents, protein powder, oatmeal, had avocados in there. I had like four or five meals and it was good coming back. I mean, they didn't even check it through Portland. I remember coming back from customs here last February in Whistler through uh customs and they didn't even check my food. I could bring a a salad to a uh, baseball game here, see the Cardinals play, with a fork. Guys, like, as long as you don't stab anyone with a fork, you're good. (laughs) But these things I didn't know, like, wow, I'm not obsessing about food for the majority of time. That's what the obsession was doing. It It had me under the spell that I could actually make choices. I had the power to decide when I'm hungry, when I'm not. As long as it's healthy food, I'm good. And I was just all in obsession and just privy to it. This is like the gateway to my recovery. It's a step one practice that I do every day. I'm on my knees right when I wake up and I say I'm powerless over food. I take steps two and three. Um and run through it and get back to work. And I call people throughout the day, I sponsor, I answer the phone. It's wonderful. Like the obsession's one thing. For for me, the first four years in the program I thought as long as I didn't have bench food I was good. Let's get like recovery. Like I held on to this idea that I would be able to make choices forever. As long as I recovered that I could just discern between healthy food and binge food and I was good. And that was not my truth. That's not my experience. I don't have the choice because I'm powerless over all food. I'm powerless over healthy food, over food. I don't like. Here's another example. I mean, binge food, I had to get in the ring with, uh, I remember seeing a diet. I'm like, Two years in the program, I'm just like, well, it's got nuts on it. And nuts for me are just like crack. I, I can never eat one serving. and never have been able to. I'm like, well, this new diet is going to be low-carb and include nuts. So I'll put the nuts in the trunk. There we go. Five pounds of nuts in my trunk. We're good to go. Because that, that'll work. I didn't know about the obsession at this point. And two nights after having those nuts, I got to think my neighbors were like, this guy's out of his door. What the hell is in his trunk? Because <laughs> so I was out there. Half a dozen times a night just going to my trunk, grabbing a handful of something. Like, that's my obsession. I, I can't stop it. Um, the allergy side of things is is just very powerful in the doctor's opinion. It tells me I have the phenomenon of craving that basically at once become paramount to all other interests. So the, when I ingest these substances in my body, they become the most important thing on the planet more important than anything I care about, more important than anyone I care about, my family, my friends, my job, my life, (laughs) my very life, that's the phenomenon I'm craving for me. And it usually takes about three days to get that out of my system. Anything short of a first bite or eating off my plan, changing the time or calling an audible right on the spot, I'm going to change this meal and it's unnecessary to do so from healthy food to healthy food, that's obsession. Anything short of a compulsive bite that's trigger food or just even changing my plan for no reason at all. That's the obsession in my mind telling me I have this power that somehow I can make it happen, make it work. And it was all killing me. The funny thing is, is that I'm just so grateful that my sponsor was sent by God to help me save my life. I was I was a drowning man. I needed it. You know, four years in, I didn't have 10, 15, 20 years to, to mess around with this. I would have died. I, I, and the truth is, in 2015, when I'm following this food plan, it felt like dying. That's what my obsession told me. Follow the food plan and you would die. It showed me what I was doing with food. Like I've never had heroin or crystal meth in my system. Um, but I could understand what detox felt like. For the first time, I never felt this level of fear when I put sugar down. That's not my experience. That's okay. I felt fear when you take away my power of choice. Wow, that was a gift. That was just incredibly revealing to me. Say that I cannot make choices around food. I have to follow this plan at these times, these amounts, and this substance, that I'm not changing it. I'm a fish out of water. I'm a man without skin throw me out of an airplane without a parachute. That's what my obsession told me. I mean, that's what it felt like. It was a gift because that's recovery. It's scary. It's not comfortable. It. I couldn't manage my life. All of the devilments on page 52 were my reality. Emotional uh, nature. I couldn't keep it. My full of fear, misery, prey to misery and depression. Personal relationships are all unmanageable. Financial, couldn't make a living. I wasn't a real use to anyone. All of those were affirmative. You're yes for me. And it was just, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. And I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm never done. I don't have all the answers. And I'm here to be in love and in service. As Dr. Bob puts it, the clean house, trust God, and to help others. I'm here in these steps and to, to help carry the message of depth and weight, as it says in the doctor's opinion. I need a message of death and weight that my sponsor had, that his sponsor had. But These guys in my tribe, I call. We do 10 steps. We continue wherever we are in the country. We talk almost daily. And when we sponsor, we sponsor that way with the tribe. Call all of these guys. Reach out. You're in the obsession. Get on the phone. Like for me, if I'm in the obsession, I'm on the phone within 60 seconds. That's the most powerful tool I have next to my food plan, surrendering to every Meal on there. Every choice yielding all my decision. The most powerful tool I have is the one on the phone. If I'm in obsession, <laughs> I no longer fight. I don't use willpower. That's a gift. I don't use my willpower. That's all that made sense in my life. When I go to bed at night, and we kid on the phone on these meetings, and we'll say, you know, I'm done eating. I used to text my sponsor, I'm done eating, and it was a cool thing because at eight o'clock at night to say that, any time in my life it meant. Well, I hope it's, it's the last meal. I hope I'm done eating. And sometimes I wasn't. I'd go have healthy food or I'd go have binge food. And either way, I was using willpower, if I ever said that before. When I say it now, it's something outside of myself. I have to access power. Totally a step two thing, but I have to access power to follow a food plan. Because it's not me doing it by any means. And it's going to take work, getting on the phone. Like, well, last time I had Obsession... It came from a dream around my birthday. This is the last March. And uh, I was just, it seemed like five minutes of the dream, but that feels like an hour. And in dream world, right? And I'm in this food. And we go to work and they have different dessert items. And they're reading, they're singing everyone's birthday. And this food item was not a typical birthday food item, but it had my name on it. It literally had my name on it. And I seen. And it was in my dream. And I'm like walking in the parking lot. I'm like, thanks, God. I'm smiling. I'm like, you win. I'm on the phone with my sponsor and talking about it. Because I feel like, what is God? What am I going to manifest this obsession from my dream now? Um, That was a gift from God to get on the phone. I was on the phone with the sponsor twice that day. It was the first time in a while like that. But (laughs) hats off to my obsession. I respect it that much that I'm going to get on the phone. I'm not going to do battle with it any longer. If it's there, I got to name it, claim it. I'm on the phone. I yielded my obsession. And I practice powerlessness with this food plan. That is my practice of step one, practicing powerlessness. It's something that I could hold in my hand. I've, I've written it out. It's not in my head where my obsession lives. Uh, that's where my food plan always was before. Like, I got it. Food plan's in my head. Well, I'm making choices that way. I need something tangible written down. When I feel exhausted, when I feel life coming at me that i can refer to me oh wait what is what does sanity look like in terms of food in my life well here's my food plan i eat at these times here's exactly what i eat awesome it's already in my cooler It's, it's spoken for i know exactly what i'm gonna eat until i go to bed tonight it's like that for us i mean that's what my that's what sanity looks like in my life in terms of food because I'm insane if I'm under the delusion that I can make cho- choices freely, healthy choices. I can't do that any longer. I'm uh, I'm here for spirituality and spiritual growth, and I'm just very grateful that freedom from obsession and to share that with you all here this morning. And with that, I will
3: pass.
0: Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with all of us regarding Step 1. We appreciate your personal insights and your story this morning. The SHARE ID for this presentation, 11495. That's 11,495. We'll offer Chris B's contact information at the conclusion of this recording so stay tuned for that. Now we will transition to question and answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star one to unmute. Please give us your first name and the first letter of your last name as well. Who has a Gina question? Gina R hey Gina, good morning. Anne Anyone Marie M Anne Marie. P P D
4: Leslie M.
0: Leslie M. All right, let's start off with this group. Gina R. Go right ahead.
5: Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Chris. Thank you so much. This is Gina R. Gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body in Green Valley, Arizona, and also a free agent. I wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit more about um, the transition that you took from perceiving yourself as a victim to a volunteer. And then also, how do you actually go
4: about accepting compliments today? Thank you.
1: Dina, I appreciate it. Um, the transition from victim, uh, that was a belief I've held my whole life uh, to volunteer. Uh, it's still a practice. It, it's still one of acceptance. And it, it's still something that goes in my step six, step seven, and work today. But um, anytime that I feel like I'm in self-will and I'm spiritually thirsty, spiritually sick, um, feeling like I'm in control, uh, I'm trying to control something, I'm under fear or I feel resentment, from the outside world, from validation or any external circumstance, I feel like that victim belief is activated. And it's okay to feel uncomfortable through that. It's okay to, for me to pause. I'm practicing this element of pausing, breathing, um, and just feeling uncomfortable for a little bit and then processing it. But knowing that, a good example would be, I'm, I've been living with my folks here the last two years And my mom was at the top of my resentment list, Uh, my greatest teacher of all time. (laughs) And I no longer feel um, a victim, like a victim around her. She is tremendous and I I love her. And um, I actually am at peace around her. She feels, I should say it feels like she changed so much in the last two years, like her behavior. She hasn't changed. It's me. It's my beliefs. It's, this higher power that i've continued to cultivate a relationship has gotten stronger it's our work that's alleviated that belief how wonderful i can be here with my landlords my folks and grow closer in relationship to them and experience life in this manner in transition and be okay with it um it, it's wonderful i am a volunteer It's a practice of being humble as well, that I'm not better than, or I'm not worse than my life was always about being worse than, um, I was giddy and I try to jump to humor and, and be better than, or, um, just to make up and overcompensate. And then few and far between the belief that I'm a victim and I'm no good would come up and there was no humility. There was no God in any of that. I needed humility. I still need humility. I need God to, to grow. To practice um, to to be present to be out in the world and be a volunteer <laughs> to be an observer to be out and a participant in life <laughs> to participate It's I'm looking out right now and it's sunny outside and it's amazing day I cannot wait to get outside and join the world to join the human race as recovery has given me that gift um, I forget what the second question was you know I can improvise, but (laughs) how
5: do you go about accepting compliments now? You said that you weren't able to do that before.
1: Yes. Thank you. Um, I do say, thank you. When someone compliments me, it, it is, um, I don't discount it or argue with them when someone compliments me, I'll I'll say thank you. And it's a practice for me to be humble in that. I, I give that over to God and say, um, initially three years ago, it was like, man, I, this is, I'm not, it's not me doing it. I'm not going to accept any compliment and I can go the other way really quick. Um, Say thank you. And just accept it, that I was helping someone. That's not my, it doesn't validate or give me value, but I'm inherently valuable, intrinsically valuable with or without that compliment. As Chuck C would say, you can, you can add to me, but you can't take away. If I can contribute, like how can I show up today and, and help other people and be of maximum use as my higher power would want me to be? Um, and if it's accepting a compliment, that that sounds good to me.
0: <laughs> thank you, Gina R., for the questions this morning. Anne-Marie M., your turn.
4: Did you call Anne-Marie M.? I did. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you, J.F.E.F. Uh, service and Chris I could I really appreciate you share and I could relate so much. Um have you ever encountered um anyone telling you that that you think that they think that you are being obsessive about um eating the way that you eat and if you do how do you handle it? I um You know, someone just said, you know, I I just don't know how to handle it without being defensive or getting a little bit irritated. And I was just wondering um, if anyone has approached you and said anything like that about your meal plan or about you being obsessed about, um, you know, still, you you know, because someone said to me, you're still obsessed about food, you just, you know, you can't. So anyway, I was just wondering how you handled that, if you have ever encountered that. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Emory. Uh, yes, actually, in the first year, um, that was okay. I was guided by a sponsor to do just that. At a certain point, it was like, um, hey, man, you're obsessing about recovery <laughs> and step one stuff. You know, It's just the way my mind works. I, I do obsess, but um, that that's part of it. I mean, why not use that as a bridge to obsess about the times I eat or initially. That's what I had to do. That's all that's what I was working with. We got to go with what we got. What we got. So um that was a lot of it was a fear though, too. Like what are people going to think if I go to a restaurant and order food this way or you know, I go to a gas station now to use the microwave. I go to Panera Bread Co. Use the microwave on the coffee. I go to hotels at, um in the lobby they have a you know a conference or something they have a, a microwave. I have my cooler with me. That's <laughs> what I do. It's part of my lifestyle. It's part of my practice. It's my plan of action, my powerlessness plan of action in the making and uh people see that and I've inspired more people often than not. People I work with they're like, Man, can you cook for me? <laughs> Can you um, share some tips, man? How do you do it? In, in the industry I'm in now, they give, uh, they they cater food every Saturday. And I've never once taken them up on it. You know, they've asked if we can do some healthy food. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. It's usually it's not healthy food and that's all good. You know, part of me um, surrendering to my meal plan and not making choices, my example is not accepting free food. It's not adding to the meals I already had. I used to do that. I'm like, well, I'll just add these, you know, toppings or lettuce, tomato, mushrooms, peppuccinis, whatever. It's it's free calories. It's it's not going to affect the bottom line, right? Well, it's messing with my obsession when I do so. And it's that important to me because it's killing me. So if I get criticism, which I don't believe I ever have, um, I've only gotten supporting, um, supporting statements from other people or questions. And if I, if I get criticism, it's a hundred percent to do with the other person, a hundred percent about their beliefs and maybe they're feeling judged or they feel like they should, I'm totally speculating, but it's maybe they, they see something. I don't know. But for me, it's something I would work on with my sponsor and continue to talk about that. Um, you know, is the food plan ever done? No, I mean, it's evolving. My schedule is going to change. Our lives are going to change. We're, we're going to have to uh, adjust and, and we can do that together. We can do that with other people and ask these very questions, which are important. Like how, how do you go about handling um, people saying that you're obsessing? Well, I, it's almost like, thank you. I, my mind works that way.
3: <laughs>
1: Hell yeah, I do obsess. And Uh, that's what it took for me the first year was to like without a doubt there's no i was on the on the minute when i ate and now it's it's lightened up to like well it's within the hour i eat in this time range and i worked all 12 steps based on that step one practice that it had to happen that way it was like the other way i I was growing spiritually but just I, i didn't realize i was messing with my obsession the entire time and um being free from obsession. If if it's to have a little obsession in the initial point, I'll I'll take that any day.
0: Thank you, Anne Marie, for the question. P B, you're up. Pete, Pete, thanks,
4: moderator. Yes, Are you able to hear me okay?
0: I do, Pete. Thanks.
4: I was unable to unmute. Sorry about that. Hey, Chris, thanks so much
1: for uh, your service and your message. Uh, my name is Pete B. I'm a recovered compulsive over here by God's grace and mercy. And uh, I would just, I just had a, uh, uh, um, do you ever, like, how do you differentiate, like, maybe the thought or the idea of eating outside of your meal plan versus the obsession to like, is there any, is is, is there ever a time where you, you know, you have a,
4: like, how how do you differentiate whether or not it's it's just a thought? It's just the first thought versus it's the obsession.
1: Thank you, Pete. I appreciate the question. Um, Well, initially, if I'm struggling with step one, um, it's all the same to me. So if it's a thought and it's like, um, nowadays, because I don't have obsession at all, really. I mean, I can kind of smile at it. I am I drive past uh, restaurants and don't even notice them anymore. Like, oh, that that was a new restaurant? Okay, I didn't, you know, someone mentions it. Or um, let's say last night I'm watching some TV and there's a dessert on some sugar food. And I may just think about it for a second and then be like, oh, yeah, I'm powerless, you know. But if I'm beyond that, and initially, and I'm struggling with step one and I, I don't have any way to, um, to stay, have the food down. And I'm really struggling with food and I'm, I mean, any thought is a reason to get on the phone, any excuse to get on the phone and say, i have an obsession. Welcome it. I mean, the more fellowship, the more time spent on the phone, it's, it's prayer. It's exactly what it is. And it's, calling out the obsession. My obsession will get on the phone and talk about sports or women or the weather before I even mentioning the obsession. Well, maybe I just need to go to a meeting. I'll feel better. Like, no, I'm going to call it out and say, I'm an obsession right now. I need someone that is recovered that can guide me out of that obsession because I'm a deer in the headlights when I'm in it. Like that's, that's when it's too late. Like for me saying, I got it. I can battle it. And okay, wow, I'm good. Now I, uh, hmm, I feel better. I can go to bed. Like I did that so many times. I just need to get on the phone if I'm not sure about obsession or thought and to look at my program overall, if I'm in the bedevilments, if I'm not getting the nine step promises, if I'm where am I at? I mean, for me, when I get stressed um, or I'm in a transition, a period of growth, a new job or first day, whatever it is, um, I could dream about food and that's just normal. That's OK. But um, that's a good question because my obsession doesn't want me to get on the phone. Don't pick up the phone. Cuz then my obsession has a chance to live. If I get on the phone, I can leave five voicemails before I get a hold of someone and get through to someone. But the truth is, I can leave five I can talk to five people live before someone gets through to my obsession. Thanks, brother.
6: Thank you, Pete B.
0: Leslie M, star
2: one to unmute. Good morning. This is Leslie M. Leah, thank you so much for your service. And um, Chris, thank you so much. It was a a very very powerful message. I'm just starting to sponsor, and I was wondering if um, there is something, aside from sharing your story, if there's something particular you do with new sponsees um, to help them with um, finding their powerlessness.
1: Thank you, Leslie. That's a great question. Uh, the first thing I do with them is uh, go to page 52, and I go to the bedevilments paragraph and word that in the form of a yes or no question. Are, are you having difficulty in your personal relationships? Yes or no. Uh, if they answer one or two yeses out of that, usually the, if they're in a meeting, they'll probably answer seven or eight. And I'll tell them how that's a... I'll share with them how that is unmanageability that's a good place to start and then to go to powerlessness there's a a great way i mean go into have them do their food and weight loss history and get to the big book as soon as possible as far as reading like the foreword right to the doctor's opinion um, talk about obsession look up the word obsession with them look up the word compulsion talk about the phenomenon of craving and doctor's opinion Um, and getting a plan together, you know, even if it's three meals a day and it's three buffets a day, that's a plan. (laughs) I mean, we got to start where we're at their 500 pounds and that's all they know is three buffets or three. They don't know how to cook. We still got to eat daily. Let's start with just the times that we eat. Uh, for me, the times were so revealing. It showed me how many times I was putting myself in the position to give myself the option or the power of choice. Like how many times in between those times that I would be like, well, I can have an apple. Well, someone's just throwing, hey, try this piece of whatever. Or just how many times I was asking myself, can I eat? How much was I obsessing about food on a 24-7 basis? And it could be healthy food or just the the idea that I was um, I was like making up for yesterday's deficit of food like putting a debit in the system. Like, Oh, I got this. I always did that. Like, what are we doing with food? That's how and through threw their drunk, um, their food log, you can see like what they're, how are they like Bill? I mean, as you get a little later into Bill's story, how are we showing up with food? What's food purpose in our life? What's food's role in our life? And that'll become clear and clearer through legwork. Uh, they have to do legwork, create a food plan. Anytime they want to go off of it, um, you know, are we powerless or not? And it's it's, it's someone that has to be guideable. It takes a lot to sponsor someone, a lot to work together. It takes a lot to recover. For real, it does. Everyone knows that. It's it's a lot of hard work. It's the hardest thing I ever did in my life, and it's wonderful. Um, but we get to sponsor with other people, like calling uh, my sponsors and people that have more experience with me are uh, with uh sponsoring there's many different opinions on step one and, and powerlessness and it's a what, a what a wonderful reason for fellowship to reach out and have a conversation we're all keeping each other sober by teaching our, each other how to sponsor we're keeping we're helping this new sponsee they are helping us
0: thank you leslie m for the question who else has a question for Chris this morning, star one to unmute. This will probably be our final invitation for Raj. questions. Um, Jody
4: Eleanor. EQ, Ros G, Eleanor,
0: and G, Jody EQ, Eleanor, Ginger C, Ginger C. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. This is your opportunity for clarification, help with step one. Anyone else? Or one. Sandy S. Sandy. in once, twice. Tanya S. Tanya S. Three times. Okay, great. Everyone mute, please, except for Roz G.
2: Thank you, Leah. Uh, my name is Roz G, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'd like to ask um, Chris, I think, Chris, do you put yourself
4: on a, let's see, Do you t- do you have a schedule for your meal prep time?
2: That's my question.
1: Thanks, Ross. Uh, great question. Yes, I uh, can only have uh, disco music from the 70s playing. and no, That's the truth. But uh, I actually do it about every two weeks. I use Sunday or Tuesdays when I have off. Sometimes I have Thursdays off. But um, I will usually do it when I only have one day of meals left. And I'll go to the grocery store. This is a I'm really glad you asked this question because I have a list I surrender to that's a grocery list. Um, that was something I was doing before. My sponsor helped me see this. Or, like, I couldn't see it before, but I was going to the grocery store and just making up my meal plan as I went. It's all healthy food, and I never threw food away. I just fit it all in. So I was overeating unhealthy food or just not having to plan at all. For my meal prep, I, I'll actually – Last time I did it, uh, I, think I had 35 meals prepared. There's a whole order of operation. I got the grill, uh, sweet potatoes and microwave going. I got veggies sauteed on the, the stove. It's all um, assembly line fashion. I'm just, uh, my sponsor likes to say a clerk in the warehouse, just filling out the orders. Nothing more, nothing less. I got the scale there, all the tough is set. Chopping board, uh, put all the healthy fats in, good to go freeze half of it freeze about uh more than half i keep about five days worth fresh in the fridge and freeze the rest and as far as the allotted time i'm down to about three hours which i'll take that i mean each meal is on average four dollars five bucks a meal and i think i spent 15 bucks on a salad at uh, <laughs> for lunch the other week Of like good god um, but on average four or five bucks per meal this way and three hours for what, 35, 30, that's 18 days. That's almost three weeks worth of meals divided into three hours. That's like a no brainer. Um Sometimes it goes a three and a half or four to clean up. I mean, I dance around, I got the headphones on, I make it a party. I uh, do fellowship on the phone and I still uh, can procrastinate, but uh getting it done, it's like, it's important. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. If I woke up without my meals prepped or planned, I would be, um, I don't know what. I mean, it's just not part of my lifestyle anymore. I have to practice powerlessness every day.
0: Thank you, Roz G., for the question. Comments. Oh,
1: so,
4: sorry. I love disco music, too. I'll stop. Thank
0: you. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, Roz. Jody E.Q.
5: Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Uh, This is Jody E.Q., Gratefully Recovering in California. Thank you so much, Chris. Wow, what a story. Um, How did you develop your own, and how do you help your sponsees develop a food plan?
1: Excellent question. Thank you so much, Jody. For me, I had so much experience in it and creating food plans for myself, but also as a profession that I created my own food plan. Um, and I, I, you know, what's funny is I did put the legwork in. I was so against looking up calories and exactly knowing where I was in terms of calories that I, I didn't do it until um, I had an experience a few months into following a food plan where I'm working with heavy equipment outside. I'm doing CrossFit, working out, and I just had the plan, but I was having a banana and having, like, a protein shake, and it was a huge banana instead of a small apple. And I even was so anti-carb at that point when I went the other way and just added healthy carbohydrates in, I'm like, well, let me just add a little bit of sweet potato with my salad, which was off plan. And um, by the end of that month, with all this activity, I actually – didn't lose any weight. And I was like, what gives? I looked up all my calories and I was four or 500 calories north of where I thought I was going to be. So that was me making choices. And just, I, I had to look up, like, know what I was doing. Cause my, my obsession will run wild with it. So it helps sponsees, um, with that. Um, uh, I mean, there's a nutritionist that works with other people in vision and, and works with some brothers in my tribe. I refer, But also, I'll go, I'll help them. i get on calorieking.com or the app or the guy I'm working with now. is just wonderful. He's so stumped. He's he's prepping his food for the first time in his life and he loves it. He does it every Saturday and makes a party out of it and he looks forward to it. And he actually put the idea in his, uh, I think it was something from the 80s that he took this idea, but he started seeing he was obsessing. Like we were looking like he's obsessing all week about the meal prep. So, he made flashcards of three different food items and he has his four year old pick the meals. He does three meals a day and um he creates seven meals of uh one meal, uh three, three different meals for the whole week, twenty one meals and does uh, three different meals. So he has three different meals, he creates seven of each on his yeah. meal prep. And he does that with his four year old. So he takes the power of what his is gonna be out and uh it's that's all we can do to help each other like create. I mean, a nutritionist is out there to just learn more. I mean, I always have to be open-minded. I still have more to learn about food, or uh, I could learn more in terms of a food plan, so uh, having an open mind and sharing that resource has always been effective for me working with guys.
5: Okay, so you it's a combination of your own experience and using nutritionists and
1: yeah, so um getting in like first what they're doing with food, like writing it down and then um seeing what's appropriate. I mean doing some legwork uh with their age, with their weight, their height, and um then going from there. Uh mm-hmm. one meal at a time. Like I usually start with the times. Like let's commit to are you gonna do three meals, are you gonna do four meals, whatever it is, what time are you eating? And commit to those and, and that's it just it, it all depends on where the sponsor is at if they're they've never cooked in their life if they um, are seasoned if they've meal prepped before uh, what their weight is how far in the food they are all of it it's just there's a starting point that's different for everyone but uh it's something that's it's being um like feedback is i mean it's being hand in hand being Working with the sponsor, um, yeah, and helping them or letting them know it's okay to be open and ask questions about it. Because the food's the last thing I wanted anyone to touch. Like, don't talk about my food. <laughs> and now we're I encourage that. This is exactly what we have, where we have to go to get better. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jody. Thank you. Q you, Eleanor. F. Your turn. Star one um, mute. Uh
4: Hi, this is Eleanor. Um, thank you so much, Leah, uh, for facilitating the meeting and Chris for sharing all of your experience, um, your strength about powerlessness and your hope. Um, actually, Jody asked the main question that I was going to ask, which is, you know, did you work with with a nutritionist? And... Um, I want to let you know that I learned a lot about the obsession this morning that I really did not know before. And the question that I have is, and were I to call you um, later, could you uh, help me uh, find a nutritionist or give me the names of some nutritionists that you might know about the program, that work with folk in the program?
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to help. I looking forward Cooper. to your contact information, and um, they're familiar with OA and familiar with the program, and work well with us, with us, so not okay. a problem at all.
4: Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Welcome, Thanks,
0: Eleanor. Ginger C. Star, one time mute. Your turn.
4: Hi. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? I do. Oh, great. Thank you. And thank you, Chris, for your service. Um, Ginger C. Recovered compulsive operator in Colorado. And my question is since being recovered, have you ever been close to eating compulsively? And if so, what actions saved you?
1: Awesome. Thanks, Ginger. I appreciate your question. Good to hear from you. Uh, the last time I was super close um, was 2016, uh, May. And I was, I was I had been a year removed from the food, a year following the food plan, already through 12 steps, uh, sponsoring all of it. and I was so I, – I got a judgment or felt shame from some comments that a family member said, and I was speaking at um, on Step 1 at a Super Saturday that that day, and I was on the phone, and I actually had fellowship with my sponsor that night. And all was well. I came home, I just felt that urge, that old, something's wrong, uh, that I don't know if I'm compulsive. I, I mean, I went to a meeting the next morning and was – just feeling compulsive i took a nap that that's and woke up and i i went in the cabinet and i'm like if there was almonds there i probably would have gotten them but um no one was in the house i was isolated i'm like i'm hitting the trail i'm going to take a bike ride made some phone calls and i didn't bring my phone with me on this trail it was a windy day i'm out and about and it just i'm going on the katie trail it's a railroad to trail and just Everyone coming my way is going in slow motion. It's a gorgeous sunny day not a cloud in the sky. And I'm just like, well, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm still going to go. I probably went 10 miles. And as soon as I turned around, I realized why they were going in slow motion. I had like a headwind of 40 miles an hour that I'd never experienced. And I mean, fear just hit me. I'm like, I don't have my phone. What if I have to walk? And I already felt compulsive. And I was doing I was an obsession, ginger. I was going through the motions. I'm going to Walmart. I'm in the binge, planning it out in my mind. And I had a whole feeling of if I'm going to do this, I'm going to might as well die. I prayed. I was out in the trail. I didn't have any food with me, which is awesome. But I was feeling fear, and I'm. It's me, and it's God, and that's it. And I was like, God, show yourself. I'm here. Have all of me, the good and the bad. Take me, do with me what you will, show me what I need to do. I'm not going to eat. And eventually I was back near uh, my car and an older couple just was passing by. Super friendly, asked me about my hat and there was a snowboard helmet. I'm wearing biking and I just gave some advice and I was able to be of help. And I went home and called my grand sponsor and he said, you have amazing courage we spoke for an hour. He was a seasoned cyclist and understood there's compulsive behaviors going on. And, um, I was probably burning a thousand calories an hour on the bike against the wind And fear is appropriate, but also that I was feeling some highs and lows coming off the speech, uh, speaking, uh, maybe a, a hangover of spiritual <laughs> descent, so to speak, how amazing we feel after a retreat or a conference or speaking. And that might've been it. I don't do so well coming down off of that. And also the shame and some other things, but, I spoke with him for an hour, and it got through to my obsession. I was crying, and that's the closest I've come in the last two years to obsession. That's what I did. It was God. It was praying, and it was another brother, another recovered fellow compulsive overeater that showed me the light, that got through to my obsession, that made sense of it all for me when I couldn't make sense of it. And I didn't eat, and I woke up the next day, and here we are.
4: Mm, thank you. And thank you, God.
0: Thank you, Ginger C. Sandy S, your turn. Star one none mute.
2: Hi, Sandy S from Florida or Nashville. Chris, I really loved that you had such a low bottom with the food. Um, that's what happened to me. I really totally lost everything, I don't know if you all exactly felt that way. But one of the problems I have in a meeting that I started is that there are several people in the meeting. It's a very small meeting that just haven't had the impact from food that I did. And I just I just find it difficult. You know, I get frightened that I'm going to start thinking that, I could take her first bite. Like, I just don't get it. Why someone would come to OA, be functioning at a high level, and not be devastated by the compulsive overeating. And I don't want to take their inventory, and I don't want to decide who's a true compulsive overeater and who's not. And I just need to learn how to accept how the disease manifests itself in me and how it might manifest differently in other people so whatever you have to share on that would be helpful thank you
1: sure um i believe the question is how um the disease manifests itself in myself and, and others i mean we're definitely all different um and i struggled with this in the first year of following this food plan because i it was just so painful for me uh to, to believe I was in program for four years. And I'm like, how did I miss this? And I, I believe in it. And this is the way. And, um, you know, getting on vision and we're talking big book and this is awesome. Like big book is the way. And <laughs> it led me to the spiritual solution. And it, it's, it's hard not to get passionate or get excited about that when, uh, we see others that are suffering or, or that are missing. But the only requirement to attend or be part of overrears anonymous is the desire to stop eating compulsively. And, I love the acceptance part of the big book, acceptance being the answer, that we get to practice compassion. You know, when was I in four years in program, I just was not open. When was I missing this amazing message of death and weight? Well, for four years, I was missing it. I was on my path. It wasn't wasted. I, along with everyone else, were all entitled to enough pain and suffering to motivate us to recover or not it may not be in our story but god still loves us unconditionally regardless of our actions i mean that's how i get to show up when i see someone suffering that maybe they're not asking me for help and that's okay i gotta question it i I can't force my will on them and i know i tried there in the past but um that's okay i had to practice and i get to practice showing up and I get to spot like call up my sponsors on with these questions too and be like, uh, why am I, am I getting triggered? Am I disturbed by this other person? The last place I thought I'd be disturbed would be in an OA meeting. <laughs> and yeah, sure enough, it actually, it happened. It started happening when I was in this tremendous period of recovery. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why am I disturbed? And it was a hundred percent to do with my belief. There was, some work I needed to do uh, 100%, you know, if I, I hear this in programming, you spot it, you got it. I mean, what is it about them? And um, I need to get the column work out. I need to do it with my sponsor and like identify this core belief and then bring it to God. Like, how can I live in acceptance? You know, I, I I've created meetings here with other brothers here as well. in step one in this format, and it is something like we, we get to practice. I showed up with control and, you wanting it to be a certain way and if it wasn't and that was necessary at that time for me to learn something about myself um that it takes a lot of hard work to be open it takes a lot of different bottoms to be uh what i mean by that is we all have different bottoms that we reach we all have different paths to the uh, message or not it exists in god's world that uh, we may not be Compulsive readers may not have the obsession and be in OA. That may be the case, and that's okay.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Sandy S. Our final question today comes from Tanya S. Star one time mute. Tanya.
6: Hi, this is Tanya S. from
5: Knoxville, Tennessee. Hi, Tanya. Um, So I have have two quicker questions. If we don't have enough time, we can just do the first one. My first question was, you said um, when you're having the food thoughts or the obsession returns, you reach out to someone. Well, given that often people are very busy these days, if it ever happens to you when you try to reach out to a bunch of people and no one's answering their phone, which is, you know, people have work, kids, life in general, what happens if you really need to reach out to someone and you can't reach
1: someone? Okay, great question. Um, I continue calling. Um, I My tribe answers their phone and get it back to me, but I, I continue calling and the voicemails do help, but... I, I got to approach program with, like my hair's on fire. If I'm an obsession and I'm thinking about food, I've got to get a hold of somebody. I mean, it's it's wonderful to have the network that we have in Vision. Where <laughs> I, I think I have I don't know hundreds of if I just look up OA on my contact list of people I can call. And at that point, if I really can't get a hold of someone. I'm praying, God, show me how I can be useful. Show me what I need to do. Can you remove this obsession in the mind? God, show me that I have everything I need to survive right now. I have enough food, enough water, enough shelter, enough oxygen. God, I need enough spirituality. Show me that I have all I need right now. Help me set aside everything I think I know for an open mind. Help me see the truth in my situation, God. You know, in the, mm-hmm. the practice of calling, reaching out to people, it is prayer. It is that's intuition God's giving us to to love ourselves, to be of use, to be helpful. We're helping all of those people that we're calling. I wouldn't answer my phone if you weren't helping me I and mean, I'm not helping you. It's like, it, it's how I'm of maximum use to my higher power and the people about us. I mm-hmm. I answer the phone. <laughs> it's um uh, it's insurance as dr bob i think put it um insurance against our obsession it's like taking out a uh, paying back giving service to what we've been given freedom of the obsession
5: Mhm. and my other question too has to do with meetings i guess how frequently you make it to meetings or if you felt like early on in your recovery um you, you really felt like you really sought out meetings where you heard you had to make, there were other recovered members at the meetings versus just smaller meetings with just a couple people or things like that, like things that might've helped you.
1: Sure. Excellent question. I mean, I I did, um, sponsor guiding uh, me to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And, um, the truth is, if we're on the phone, like you and I, if we do fellowship, that's a meeting. I mean, if I'm listening to podcasts, that's a meeting. Listening to vision, that's a meeting. If I can't get mm-hmm. to an OA meeting, um, I'm using an AA meeting, a, a message, a big book message where they're recovered people. I I find someone that I can uh, relate to, and I hang around them. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Uh, And the thing is, is that initially I needed that 90 and 90 I stopped counting after 45 days because I was going to, I mean, I had two or three hours worth of conversation, including that meeting that was face to face. I just stopped counting. It just became part of my life. But now I'm at a live meeting, maybe two or three times a week. Um, and sometimes, I mean, that it, it became uh one time a week, but I was still on mm-hmm. the phone every day. That's it's okay. part of my life, but it's very necessary. Uh, do what works for you. Find people that you can relate to and, uh, that I recovered and hang around and okay. fellowship okay thank you thank you
0: thank you Tanya S and thanks to everybody this morning who asked questions and of course thank you so much Chris for sharing your personal insights and experience with us and this very helpful presentation today thank you thank you very Leila. much Thank you. Once again, the SHARE ID for this presentation is 11495. And we're going to close this meeting with a reading from page 164 in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us